0: Are you looking to modernize your veterinary practice by offering virtual care to pet owners? Fortunately, there's an easy solution from the podcast sponsor, Medici. That's M-E-D-I-C-I. Medici is a telehealth solution built for veterinarians. I've made it easy to check out Medici with a link in the show notes, or you can head over to their website, medici.md, or call 512-967-6454 to learn more. Medici lets you text, call, and video chat with clients with their easy-to-use app. Send or receive images and videos of pets, stay VCPR compliant, and get paid, which is always a wonderful thing for delivering convenient care right from your phone. Hi, this is Dr. Aaron Smiley, and I've offered telemedicine to my clients since I started. In 2017, I integrated paid telemedicine with Medici. Ready to go virtual? Visit Medici.md, that's M-E-D-I-C-I dot M-D, or call 512 967 6454 to learn more. With that, here's the show. Welcome to the Veterinarian Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today, I'm joined by J.F. Bell Group, CPAs for Veterinarians, and Jimmy Bell, founder and visionary, and Mira Johnson, who is the integrator and makes sure things run smoothly. Jimmy, Mira, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you.
0: So this is going to be a really fun conversation. We were able to connect, again, like most guests through vet partners and really enjoyed our conversations outside of this. And we kind of said, you know what, we should get on a podcast and record our conversations. And one of the things that stuck out to me early on in our dialogue is CPAs and my mind automatically goes to taxes. And you're kind of like, well, we're a little bit non traditional from that role. And Jimmy, you described yourself a little bit as a rebel. So can you set the foundation of what you all do and your role and how you think about the world and also why veterinary medicine and that specific niche?
2: Well, you nailed it with CPA for veterinarians. One of the things that we discovered early on as we started niching in veterinary medicine space in the veterinary medicine space is that people have a perception about CPAs in general. And just because we put four veterinarians at the end doesn't change that ramification. We were actually at a one of the early national vet conferences that we attended, and we were just kind of floating around. I mean, we were attending and going to practice management sessions, which we do on a regular basis. But as we got to speak with some of the attendees, primarily doctors and practice managers from around the country, it was really evident that when you say CPAs, the mind just automatically goes to, oh, you prepare taxes for a living. Now, the reality of it is we do some of that, but we also, and our passion is in partnering with people in veterinary medicine to make them better, to make them better and accomplish the goals that they've set out for themselves. I mentioned that I'm a bit of a radical and that starts early in my probably my childhood. And we don't have enough time to go through all of that. I'd be happy to discuss that at some point in time. It's kind of fun to relive that. But from a business standpoint, as my career began, when I first graduated from college, I took alternative paths from what many of my close friends were taking. And they were working for the big accounting firms, doing exactly what CPAs do in the traditional mindset. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to work with small business People, people like me, people like you, and help them in other areas. Now, I had to put food on the table. So, guess what? I did taxes. But we're different from the standpoint that we really don't want to do the traditional stuff. We want to do the things that maybe you wouldn't anticipate. And as we sat around the table at the national conferences that I alluded to at the beginning of my remarks, as soon as we started talking about other areas in practice that we had an interest in, that we were gaining and have experience in, People were like, oh, well, my CPA doesn't do that. And automatically they began realizing that, oh, maybe there's something to this CPA for veterinarians working with somebody like us because we want to come alongside of the other professionals that service those particular practices and individuals, even the other CPAs that are serving them now by doing their taxes and whatever else they do.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting. You talked about a CPA is typically like pigeonholed into you do taxes when you hear that. And as a consumer, that's kind of the way we've been trained. I think similarly, think about like financial advisors. I run across that too. Like, oh, you just talk about investing. And it's like, well, actually, and then if someone's open to a conversation and they listen to what you have to say, a lot of times it's like, oh, I didn't really know that someone did that. And I appreciate someone that has made a concerted effort to serve a specific industry and have knowledge and advice that's really meaningful, impactful, you know, moves the needle because there's so many people that are just generalist and then it's really hard to take this advice and make it actionable. Can you talk a little bit about why maybe you burned all the boats, you gave away a lot of business to focus on veterinary medicine and that story? Because I think that's really interesting and important for people to understand as well.
2: Well you talk about general practitioner and The first three quarters of my career was built on being a very good generalist. And I used to think that was a commodity to sell because I could relate to things from all kinds of different angles. And I still think that's a viable market. But I got involved with a group of other what I'll call non-traditional CPAs. And it was called Thrival CPA Network. I'm no longer a member of that organization, although I contemplate going back. But we got together on an annual basis and we chatted almost daily throughout the rest of the year about different issues. And what we realized was the industry was moving toward more niche-based practices, much like human medicine and other areas in the professional business world. And I was at a national or annual meeting and we were encouraging each other, challenging each other, if you will, to go towards a niche-based practice and sometimes being accountable and challenging each other is really a good thing and sometimes it makes you really uncomfortable and i was put on the spot it's like well what's you going to be your niche and i started just kind of going through a mental process of my clients and i realized that i do a lot of work with veterinarians now i had several for clients and then i dug a little bit deeper and i thought i really like these people because they practice for reasons that are based on the passion they like animals which i do and they were driven by their passion of helping animals and something that was very dear and near to people, and that's their pets. Now, of course, there's other types of animals, and we work with some of those practices as well, but it really came from the companion animal side and came from the standpoint that I already had some of those types of clients, and personally, I really liked working with them. I just never really thought about it.
0: Yeah, and Mira, want to bring you in and talk about When you think about the roles and the processes and things that you do for clients today, can you talk a little bit about how you're able to leverage technology and work with practice owners and make life easier? I always joke in in my firm, my role is not to add more homework or more things for you to do to make life more complex. It's to try to simplify and make things easier. Do you want to share some ideas or things that you guys are all doing?
1: Yeah, before I do, I wanted to go back to a little bit what Jim was talking about is getting into industry. And I recall when I started to work for Jim back in the day, I was thinking like, wow, this man just went completely crazy. And he has this huge company that can support him probably till his retirement. And he just decided to blow it all up and try something new. And I was quite shocked and impressed that he was willing to risk it all. And then one day we sat down and realized that we will really hop in completely. And got rid of of almost all the clients that were out of our niche. We did realize that some of them we still had to keep the legacy clients to kind of survive and put food on our tables. But within the last five, seven years, we progressed so much that it's been so rewarding to be able to go to the veterinary conferences and kind of absorb what's going on and bring it back to our clients and help them out. Because let's face it, most of the veterinarians, they try to go to local conferences and they might not have all the new trends that's going on. We also attend different conferences that are technology-wise, which that's what I am completely passionate about with helping the veterinarians to embrace the technology and bring it to their practice so they can perform better. They can spend evenings with their family instead of trying to do their books or run payrolls in Saturday evenings. So, Bringing the technology to the practice, the most rewarding that I can see is when they completely let go, which I think it's the hardest part for all the veterinarians. They like to have hands-on and everything. And when they do let go, if it's just the simple things as approving time card on electronically and not running that payroll, we can provide a lot of the traditional kind of side of the business, but then... If you do pretty much embrace the technology and capture your receipts and do all that fun stuff that's very effortless, I would say, then you can have a great data that will make a difference. That's when Jim's comes into place and he is the one who does all the consulting and advising. And when you have a great data, you can look and you can be like, oh, wow, I am really spending a lot of money on inventory that's probably sitting on my shelves and it's not moving and we do a lot of benchmarking that helps a lot to understand where your practice should be or where there's a room for improvement. And I think one of the parts that it's good to understand is that it's not just about numbers. We really focus on a good quality life for the veterinarians with all the burnouts and the current stuff going on. You know, cash flows are right now the big deal with the COVID 19. So we just always try to be there, help them out and become their buddies, kind of friend and and, um, sounding board.
0: Yeah. And speaking about cash flows and just kind of metrics and benchmarks and knowing that, again, yeah, it's not all like, oh, you have to be at this certain number. And there might be a very valid reason why, let's say, staff costs are higher, for example. Maybe they're paying their staff more because they have a belief that that's really important to them, just knowing some of the challenges in the industry as far as, Having support staff that do make livable wages. Can you talk a little bit about either common cash flow challenges you're seeing or perhaps some of the ways that you've seen with COVID and the impacts as you're talking to clients? Just what have you seen previously, but also more recently when it comes to cash flow? Because managing that obviously is really challenging.
1: Yeah. With the COVID, I think the biggest issues that we saw was people trying to keep their door open if possible. So it was good that. They were deemed as essential business and most of the stuff they were still able to provide, most of the practices. And we have some clients that have a lot of boarding facilities that have a huge impact on their cash flow because I have never seen them empty before. So there was no boarding incoming through. The government's injections of cash flow was really good. I think the PPP loans were really welcoming to most of the practices. Idaho had a grant that you can get. So there was multiple things that you could do. A lot of people didn't know about it. So we always try to reach out to our clients and let them know on social media or through the emails that, hey, this is what's going on. I know you're busy. I you're trying to get all the masks that you can and gloves because there was a shortage but we got you back and we would like to really chat about the PPP loan. And so, from the cash flow standpoint, before the COVID 19, most of the stuff that we saw was the traditional thing like holding on to inventory for a long time, having food stacked up in the basement or MWI. I mean, you order it today and tomorrow, with that you practice, you don't need much money tied in your inventory.
0: Lead times are short.
1: Yeah. And we always encourage people to invest in their people. I think people are the biggest asset of every practice. And like you said, the benchmarking is a starting point for a conversation. But of course, every practice is different. If they are specialty practices, their numbers are going to be completely off the whack and it might be just fine. We always encourage to educate your staff and to bring qualified staff and to bring the, I mean, most of the people who are working in the practice are there because they have a passion for the animals and that's what's keeping them there. So we see that a lot of them are underpaid as it is, and then you will eventually lose the ones that are good. So you might be left with the mediocre. There was a survey the ADMA got in in 2008, which is a really, really old number. And they actually found out that every credentialed veterinary technician that practice employed generated over 150000 more in gross revenue. While adding a regular technician, you don't get any extra revenue. And I think that tells a story about investing the- going to your people.
0: It's fascinating. Jimmy, one of the things going back to just thinking about traditional CPAs, you think of someone being more reactive, like here's all my stuff, do my taxes and then tell me what I owe versus being more proactive and talking about strategy and planning. Can you talk about from your mindset of being the visionary, how you work with practice owners and help them think about the strategy and implementing things that will make an impact today, but also in the future?
2: Well, the technology stacks that we try to put together for clients or help them benefit from by utilizing them. And that goes everything from practice management and communication all the way down to accounting and cash flow management things. And so the spectrum is wide. The tech stack is relatively short. We need to put it into uh, context of the clientele that we are passionate about, and that is anything from the startup to the small practice. And we're talking anywhere from three, four, five doctor practices. Our largest client has three locations, just to give you an idea. And so we're talking to doctors and clinics that truly have people involved in multiple aspects of the clinics. One of the things that I have done at a practice that I had a financial interest in is I went in one day and I was trying to make a point and I went in Started cleaning the toilet, made them all come in, and I said, You know, I won't ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. Providing real time data is a benefit to practices in the size group that we work in, just as much as it is to large corporate and multi doctor large practices. The problem we have is that people are so busy being in the business that they're in, they never have the time or take the time, I should say, to practice and be their own best client. So one of the things that we do is try to change the mindset, give them the ability to give themselves permission to work on their business as well as in their business. And ultimately, while that seems like a huge sacrifice to many of them when we start having those conversations, because they have to set time aside to do that, time aside, other than the time that they wish they were spending with their family on evenings and weekends, but rather during the operating hours, their general operating hours. So it really involves changing a mindset to get them to utilize the tools that we're trying to show that are now available to even the small practices that we work with.
1: And I think one of the things is that we always approach the client when we onboard them and say, hey, call us email us. If you have anything going on, just let us know and we'll discuss it. Before you do anything, just please, please, please call us. We had a client back in the day that would come and said, I bought the building. Okay, great. Well, what did you do with it? I bought the building and it's sitting there and I'm now going to collect rent. So I'm going to be my own rent boss in lord, And they said, oh, that's great. Let me see the documents. And the building was placed inside of the practice. It was the same company. And there's just not much what you can do when it's all done. And it's kind of like, I wish you would have just picked up the phone and just called me and said, hey, this is what I'm planning to do. What do you think? How is that going to impact? Yes, we're back to taxes. How is that going to impact my taxes? How about my liability? How can I protect myself? What is the bigger picture here? And they would just say, well, I thought you're going to charge me. So I didn't want to spend $100, $200 for a conversation. But undoing something that was done, um, it's much more expensive. And the impact is just huge. So we always, in onboarding now, say, please, before you do anything, just call us. It's all included in your package. It's all fixed. So you don't have to pay anything extra.
2: And interestingly enough, and and you know this as well as we do, and your listeners will attest to this, we're creatures of habit. And the traditional relationships, back to a traditional business advisor, that's the way it worked. You called and you asked for advice and then you got the bill in the mail and you dreaded opening it up and you were either pleasantly (laughs) surprised or you fell on the floor. We try to reverse that trend because we want people to be proactive. We want to be proactive. We want to help them in making better decisions rather than spending time trying to get people out of innocent mistakes that they sometimes make, like the building situation the Mira spoke of. The person was so proud of what they accomplished. I mean, this was a million-dollar building, and they put it together really quick. Otherwise, we probably would have seen it, but it happened so quick that we didn't even have the opportunity to catch it until it was too late. And so, again, it's back to the mindset that we're here to help you. And when we put arrangements together with the clinics that we work with and the practices we work with, we put all-inclusive stuff in there because we want to encourage them. We want to break down those barriers so that we can be proactive on their behalf and they can be proactive in the decisions that they make so that we're planning their future
0: rather than reacting to the circumstances. Absolutely. And you want to empower them to focus on the big 10,000 plus type of action items and not be worrying about the 50 $100 little things here and there. And I even had a conversation recently with a practice owner, and he's been in veterinary medicine for 40 years. And he was like self described himself as very frugal and cost conscious and all these different things. But they have a legitimate large business. And there are certain things and conversations that you have to have. And you want someone on your team that is going to be receptive to having conversations and not be afraid of, well, if I ask this question, it's going to cost me this. Is this truly worth it? If you don't know, just ask. And yeah, I think from a relationship standpoint, very similar to the way that I operate, it's, yeah, I'm here to provide value. You're going to pay me. And if I don't do that, then you shouldn't pay me anymore, but give me the opportunity to give you as much value as possible and make big changes because, the effects of all that advice and guidance over the years is really going to help the practice flourish and grow and make really good decisions because no one can be an expert at everything. And it's really hard to know all the different ins and outs of everything from a practice ownership, whether it's veterinary medicine or being a CPA or being a financial advisor, like there's so much information out there that someone's trying to understand and retain, even if they've heard it once at a conference, like, oh yeah, I remember that, but I need to ask Jimmy and Mira about that. And that to me is why you want to surround yourself with good quality people that understand your business, going back to that specific knowledge versus general, because you can really help someone and make a huge impact. And I love the the idea of what you're trying to do and work with clients to help them transition the mindset from not just being you know an owner and being a veterinarian but also being that business minded individual that's thinking big picture and having someone to brainstorm with of how to make things better and hopefully get them closer and closer to the vision that they ultimately have it also places an additional
2: responsibility on us as supporters of those in veterinary medicine in that we're not for everybody back in the day when i started my practice i just needed clients they didn't even need to have money. I just needed people to walk in the door so I had something to do and gain that experience and then begin charging them for it. Now we realize because there's certain people that respond to the message and the benefit of working with professionals such as yourself and us and others that are specifically involved with veterinary medicine and committed to that, that There are those that aren't willing to make those changes, to think proactively, to think outside the box, be willing to make changes, and we might not be a good fit. And so we always vet those relationships up front to see if, because we want to be successful. We want to provide value to those clients, and we want them to be willing and able to receive whatever it is we can provide to them to make them better and further them along their journey. For those that aren't, we graciously elect not to do business with them, but we do it in a compassionate way because they may come around and when the student's ready, the teacher will appear and we would like to be in a position to have that conversation with them at some future time if they so elect.
0: One of the things that, again, rewinding the conversation a little bit, you're talking about you know, a tech stack and basically being able to reinvest in the business. Can you talk a little bit about areas that you've seen from a reinvestment is really changing either efficiency or productivity or anything within a practice? And then thoughts. I think right now telemedicine is obviously a huge topic. And I know that you're not telemedicine experts, but I'm sure you're having those conversations. Any thoughts around that as far as technology within a practice as well?
2: Well, I'll let Mira. Address that issue. But before I do, I, I think of a story. I was actually, uh, I think I was moderating one of the practice management sessions at one of the national vet conferences. And there was an individual in there. They were talking about practice management software. And there was a doctor in there who was very successful, but came to the realization that they needed to upgrade their practice management software. And they put together an internal task force and they were doing research and whatever. And this project was like, two or three years long. I mean, by their own defined process, you know, because they saw this as a situation where they were going to upgrade this software. They wanted to make the right choice and it was going to last for 10 or 20 years down the road. Times are changing and the products that we talk about are products that are evolving daily. They're making upgrades and improvements daily. There are companies merging and coming and going. And so, it's really a fascinating thing, and you have to be willing to be able to embrace change to embrace some of the things that we talk about. But with that, Mira, go ahead and question the question. Sorry about that.
1: The telemedicine, I am super excited about it. As a millennial, I love the idea. of. I always like to text my vet and said, hey, look what's going on with the office dog. She has this rash and that rash, and this is what's going on. So this is a great opportunity for everyone during the COVID era to jump in. And there is issues with the state boards that they don't, I believe, in Idaho they have some, yeah, they have some issues with okay, it. Let's just put it that way. But I love that the technology has been here for a long time and the ones who hasn't jumped on, we see that there's a lot that are jumping on just because of the circumstances. And there's a lot to choose from. A lot of them are offering now free trials for a long time. And I just encourage everyone to jump in and try it out because... And don't give it away. Please don't give it away. That's actually give away about 60 grand for free services a year. Amazing per number. Productor, Yes. Thank you. And telemedicine, I think it's here to stay because of the convenience factor. And I always encourage to re- do a little research before you opt in for one. Make sure that integrates with your software, that it communicates. I know there's a lot of different platforms I heard now the EasyVet actually came out with integration with Zoom, which a lot of us are very familiar with uh, Zoom. It became a huge thing during the COVID era. And the integrations are great because you don't have to do much. You just dial right there from the... If you have that opportunity to integrate with your practice management software and you can just dial out of your practice software, you don't have to look for the phone number. You don't have to... I mean, I think that's a great thing to have, so...
2: And capture and, and record those conversations right there in the software, in your medical notes. and Yeah, if possible, go for it.
0: So I know you made the comment just a second ago on the free work being done. Can we dig into that a little bit? You referenced the 60,000. Is there specific areas within practice that you see free work being given? Because I know that this is a conversation that reoccurs all the time about, hey, I can't afford this. And they say, okay, and then they go and run tests or do different things behind the scenes just to get the results because it is so important. And like we talked about at the beginning, there's a deep passion of just service in veterinary medicine, which again, I love that as well. And that's why I enjoy working within veterinary medicine is there's fantastic people. But curious, is there any sort of breakdown on that 60K? I don't know
2: that that information's out there. I don't recall seeing any national information there. It's not to say it doesn't exist. We require i should say that's probably a little strong word we strongly encourage our practices to track all of those costs because what we find is practice owners are they're amazed i mean they know they're doing it but they don't realize how much it adds up to and so when you quantify it then they're able to better control those costs and there's ways to control those costs internally by adjusting processes but it really just boils back to they're compassionate people. They practice medicine, not for the money. But the reality of it is they need to make money so that they can take care of their staff, so they can improve themselves, so they can attend conferences, so they can upgrade their equipment. It's an expensive profession to be in. Making money isn't a four-letter word. They just don't realize how much they're giving away because if it's 10 bucks here and 5 bucks there, it's not a big deal. But as Mira pointed out, it adds up to big numbers. And we see those numbers exceed what some practices are even making as profit, particularly in this era.
1: Yeah. And I think it doesn't have to be necessarily a client that can afford the service. We see a lot. It's the free nail trim. Well, you already have your fluffy here. Let me just trim their nails free of charge this time, which could be a good thing to do to get the client in and develop some relationship and stuff like that. But I think that everything that you do, you need to bring on an invoice and then discount it on the invoice. So the client will know that that was a $15 nail trim that you just go away. So at least it's right there. But I think you're setting an expectation. Next time when I come and Fluffy needs a nail trim, now why are you charging me now? You did not charge me before. So we see that happening a lot. We always encourage if you want to give away, because we know you will give away, set up an account just for that. And in the end of the year, look at it and see what it is, or set a cap that you will tell your associates to know that, hey, you can give away this much money and watch it. So that way, I think it's harder to give away once you realize how much you give away.
2: And veterinary medicine is such a relationship business. Our clients become friends, their clients become friends, just as our clients become our friends. And it's tough sometimes to properly charge or document all those little charges that add up to big numbers with family and friends.
1: And employees, yeah,
2: And employees.
0: Totally agree. And I think that's a great point. And Mira, I love the idea of if you're going to give away a nail trim or something like that, put it on the invoice, but then mark it off so that it sets the expectations and visually it's there because just like with anything, if you give a mouse a cookie, the next thing they're going to ask is for a glass of milk, right? Where they're going to start expecting certain things as the standard of care in that practice. Oh, this is free. This is free. I don't pay for that. And that doesn't set a good precedence because again, it does cost a lot to run a practice. Your skill set is very valuable and you should charge for it. I think most rational people are okay paying for good service and for advice and guidance. And if that's with their pets to make sure that they're healthy and that's part of their family, they're going to pay for that. But if you set expectations that they don't, they're not going to just pay for no reason. They're going to take advantage of that a lot of times because... Sadly, a lot of people, and it's just human nature innately, where we are kind of selfish. And if you're going to give it away, we're not going to say, you know what, you should probably charge me for that. Some might, but most won't. I know you talked about earlier as well, um, the types of clients you work with and the business owner that may have you know one location or a couple different locations. But from a strategy standpoint with succession planning and maybe an acquisition, during those conversations, is there anything that sticks out or things that you feel like more people should understand or know?
1: I think one of the main things for succession planning, it's not too early. It's never too early. I think once you buy the practice, you should start thinking about what's your exit plan. What are you trying to achieve? Why are you starting your own business? A lot of people start the business and then they say, well, I wanted it because I did not want somebody else to dictate the medicine that I use for my patients. I did not want somebody to tell me when to spend it or the cats because I believe in this and that. And I think a lot of people might enter the business side for wrong reasons and then they I would say suffer inside but i love the startups because there is so much passion and enthusiasm and so much energy and they're driven and they have these dreams and you know I'm my one doctor practice maybe they started as a mobile practice and they have all these dreams of what will happen and how big they will be and how much animals they can save and help them and boarding facilities that now you can see the luxurious one being created, but maybe not so much in this area, but before March. So there is a lot that I love about the small startups just because of their passion and energy. I do love when the end comes and they decide to retire. And if they do have the proper conversations and plan for it properly, I think it's a great rewarding thing to see that we have we have a vet that comes now and there at 10 a.m., and it says, I couldn't make it any earlier because I'm retired, and I don't get up early anymore, and I'm going to Africa next month, and this is what I'm going to do next. And do you remember? I retired. And we're like, yeah, we do remember, but can you go home now because we still have to work? <laughs> so that's always rewarding, too. Both sides are great. And of course, we see practices that are not the happy practice that they struggle because of their cash flow or whatever is going on, staff problems. And I think that's where we need to thrive in and help them out. So each side and any cycle of the practice is different, but it brings different challenges and different rewards in the end.
2: We find that practicing veterinary medicine is why most of the practice owners and doctors within those practices got into the business in the first place. That's why they went through all the years of schooling and vet school and then they own that practice and they realize that there's a whole other side, the business side of the practice that they aren't either educated about or passionate about. They just want to deal with cases. And we want to encourage that or put them in the position that they are most suited to. Because let's face it, there are some doctors that really thrive on managing a practice and being on the business side of the practice as opposed to being the practitioner. I always say to people that are looking for practice ownership, whether they're just thinking about it or they just got in, begin with the end in mind so that they understand that and begin formulating those plans up front and communicating that. It really helps us in working with those practices to understand what that timeline looks like, knowing full well that those expectations and desires are going to change over time But at least that's part of being proactive. We see the other side of the coin, and that's when people are, you know, they get along in their career and they're burnt out or they're tired or physically they have a problem, a medical problem, either for themselves or a family member, and they're not able to practice the way they once were. And they have no strategy, no plan to accommodate themselves going forward. And for a lot of those folks, unfortunately, their practice is the biggest asset they have. So we really are big on succession planning and being proactive, again, starting with the end in mind.
0: And I know that you're not a valuation expert by any means, but with clients and maybe that initial interview like process where they're trying to figure out if you're the right fit, do you ever ask like what they think their business is worth? I ask this question a lot and I'm surprised how many people have zero idea even though it's the biggest asset that their family has. I think that point, you just made it clicked in my mind because there's a recent conversation of someone that told me they don't know what it's worth, but they're not thinking about selling it anytime soon.
2: Yeah, we probably don't ask that directly as much as we should, that's a great idea, that thank you for idea. that. <laughs> but I will tell you one of the things that we do discuss is putting their actions in value perspective. And here's what I mean by that. If we can reduce inventory, it adds cash flow, it adds profits to the bottom line. And when you add profits to the bottom line and you add cash flow to the practice, you inherently increase the value of that practice. And it doesn't matter what that practice is worth or what valuation method you use to come up with that valuation, but the reality of it is the things that we coach on and work with our practice owners on ultimately add value to their practice. And if they can start seeing it from the perspective of not only the bottom line, but the future value of that practice, it's like a whole nother light bulb goes on in their mind and they can start seeing things from a different perspective as opposed to how does that change going to affect me today, this week, this month?
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. And kind of wrapping up and thinking through, you know, final question. Outside of what I close with, any soapbox topic that maybe we didn't touch on that you think is really important that you just wish more people understood or you want to tell those that are listening? Well, for me, it's investing
2: in their own practices. Two things have to happen for a practice to be successful. The practice owner has to be willing to invest in not only their own knowledge, but putting aside time to manage their own practice. And if they're not willing to do that, and that's perfectly fine, then they need to bring along other people to fill those roles, whether it's a practice manager, whether it's a professional like yourself or JFL group or others, many others in vet partners, for instance, they need to surround themselves with people that can help them see their practice and analyze their practice and help manage their practice not taking away their ability to make decisions, but embracing those other components that can help them make better decisions. That comes into some of my other pet peeves, and that is we get focused on history. The world's changing so fast, and if we get caught up in the past, the future is going to pass many of us by. Mira talked about telemedicine. That's a big one because in the area that we live, even though we serve veterinarians around the United States, in our particular state, it's very conservative. And there's a couple of things that state boards in general are slow to react, whether it's embracing telemedicine, because telemedicine's happening. Whether or not you and your listeners' practices are embracing it or not, I can tell you that the ones that are, are doing it and are happy with it, are finding ways to tweak it and make it applicable to the worlds that they practice in and to the clients that they practice in. And to the extent that state boards hinder that progress, I understand professionalism and I understand all the components that go into things like telemedicine or practice ownership, for instance, allowing non-veterinarians to have a piece of practice ownership. So I understand those controls and checks and balances, but sometimes we inhibit our own abilities to crank it up, to take advantage of the world that we live in and all that's changing about it in a positive way. And so those are some of my pet peeves and things that I like to beat my drum about. The other thing, and Mira, I think alluded to this earlier, was we all embrace a profession that is struggling mentally as well and physically. A lot of employees are underpaid and overworked. We have people in our profession that are struggling emotionally because they're so wrapped into the compassion piece of their job that they aren't able to care for themselves. I often tell people that we work with, if you're not healthy, you're not doing the job that you otherwise could do. And so we encourage them to take care of themselves. And some of the tools and things that we help on the business side of their business allows them to reduce or eliminate some of the very things that are stressing them out that's creating this, I'll call it a pandemic, because. Veterinary medicine, we have a higher suicide rate than the general population, just for instance. And there are organizations out there built around spending their entire time on dealing with compassion fatigue and mental illness within our profession. Vet for Vets is one that comes to mind. And so this is just one way that we think we can help make not only the world a better place, but veterinarians and veterinary practices better by encouraging them
0: to take care of themselves. Thank you for that. Mira, anything uh, top of mind that you want to share?
1: I would just encourage everyone. I once got a book and I don't know why I got it. I think I was maybe complaining a lot or, (laughs) but I once had a gift and it was a book that's called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff and it's all small stuff. And I think a lot of people take a lot of things they can control into consideration. So another quote that I would like to share is control the controllables. If you can't control it, find somebody who can, or find your way around it, stop stressing about it. And that's pretty much all I had.
0: Last question as we close. And again, both of you feel free to take a stab at this one. What makes veterinary medicine great in your mind?
1: Well, we have Miss Bella. She is a pure mix of love, but fluffy ball. But I think the veterinary medicine is great because people who are working in the medicine are passionate about what they do. They are there to help pets and I just love their compassion when I walk in with my dog into the practice when they ask me questions and they're willing to help and they're very smart people and I respect them with my whole heart. I just hope that we can, me and Jimmy can help them to make their lives better just as they make our lives better with our pets.
2: It's interesting, and you know this as well, that the younger generations are oftentimes getting pets. Pets are their new family members, and they're putting off having children to a later age, and they're passionate about those pets. They spend a lot of time researching. They have an expectation of becoming educated. They want the visit to the veterinary hospital or clinic to be an educational as well as a physical and mental solution for what now are their loved ones. And it's just so fun to be involved with people that care about other living creatures and are so humble at it. That's what attracted us to veterinary medicine in the first place and still does today.
0: Jimmy, Mira, I greatly appreciate the time and insights shared and some of the stories that you provided as well. I think there's a lot for listeners to take away. For those that are looking to either connect, learn more, you mentioned, uh, or maybe we didn't mention, you're in Idaho, but you work with folks all over the country. How's the best way to connect? Where can they learn more? How do they get in touch?
1: Our website is cpasforveterinarians.com or jflgroup.com. You can just click there to contact us and we'll be in touch.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. And uh, we will talk soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. Isaiah is the founder of ID Financial Planning and Wealth Management. Isaiah is a registered investment advisor in the state of Indiana. The biggest compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is a platform that is predominantly how people listen to the show. If you have three minutes, love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and give us an honest review and rating. That'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links, and information, head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can also subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information and insights and the ability to have your voice heard, please consider joining the private podcast Facebook group. You can search for the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll down to about your host and click on the Facebook icon. Then I can approve you, let you into the group, and would love to hear from you there. Thanks for listening and I'll be talking again to you soon.